All right, y'all, it is good to be back. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 10. So go ahead and start flipping to Matthew chapter 10. And uh, it is, it's a, it was a great trip for the Massingales for us to get away. Um, and I, I really do, um, I'm making sure this is going to work the right way. Um, I do want to say thank you uh, because it is so refreshing to have a church family and body who understands that we also as a family need to get away and have time. And so if there's a delay in a text or something, then you understand that um, you understand that and you encourage it and you welcome it. So thank you. That's a it's very refreshing. We were able to get away, able to see the, the Smoky Mountains and many bears and a mouse, a snake, plenty of deer, turkeys, um, and then, you know, a chipmunk. So it was cool. It was great to get away. Um, so thank you for that. We did, we did definitely miss y'all. And so we're excited to be back also. Um, and uh, I'm so glad that Andy, like the sermon series, I want to touch on that real quick. Andy, I think, did an excellent job with the passage last week, reminding us, even though we, it seems like the texts were out of order, you know, like I'm putting that in quotation marks, it was definitely not out of order for how God organized it in his own timeline because I told you I was really wrestling with verses 16 through 25 and I had an idea of how I should preach it, but I wasn't sure quite if that was the right way or if that, and and because there's a lot, you're going to hear that. Well, in Andy going ahead and doing 26 through 33, God clarified so many of the other things that I would have had to miss to be quite, or I would have had to slam in there. So um, it's just neat to see how God in his timeline, not ours, organized all these things to come together. Okay, with that said, if you have not heard Andy's sermon, if you weren't here last week, or um, so if you weren't here last week or and you have not listened to the sermon, it is we post them online um, for the very purpose of you listening. Um, but I do want to encourage you because today we're talking about persecution. And if you hear the persecution part and you don't hear the confidence that we have in our God and his sovereignty and the truth and him, call, then if you haven't heard that part, then you need to hear both of them together. So I want to highly encourage you if you've not listened to Andy's sermon yet then after today, please make time to go and listen to that one as well because they complement. I mean, of course, the passages are side by side. They're, they, they should fit together, but it's really neat on at least my side, and I think Andy's side, once he hears it, I'll come, it's neat to see how the Lord was moving us in our studies to highlight certain aspects, and they just they go hand in hand. And so this would have been like one of those part one, part twos. And All right, but I still think his had to go first for the context of where we are now. All right, so here we are. We are in Matthew chapter 10, verses 16 through 25. And it says this. Jesus says, Behold, I am sending you, talking to his 12 apostles, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you, to, how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. 
brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child and children will rise against parents and have them put to death and you will be hated by all men for my name's sake but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next for truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all of the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, then how much more will they malign those of his household? Welcome back to Cross Life. We're going to talk about persecution today. Um, We're going to dive into this passage for sure. I want to take one more moment of prayer that there is just clarity as we move through it. Um, Because there are many rabbit trails that we could hit and totally lose the point of the passage. So that's what I'm going to pray for. Lord, be with us. Yes, Lord, spark in us a hunger for your word that drives us deeper into study this week. But Lord, today for the proclamation of your word and the glory of who you are, I do pray for clarity and focus and Lord, conviction on my part, Lord, that I do not speak more than I need to, nor speak less than what I'm called to with this passage. Lord, keep us on the right path. There is value in the paths that lead off. There are trails that we could explore. Absolutely, Lord, but help us in this moment to see you and your glory and what you have called us to. And I do pray this on your son's holy name. Amen. All right. So here's the tricky part about the passage. It's which lens do we read through? Like which lens? And I'm going to explain that to you. This is actually a pretty complicated passage because if you read it, it has parts that fit right there and then it has parts that fit now and it has parts that fit later in Matthew and parts that fit for the future. It's one of those where scholars are actually divided on how to read this passage. So what I want to do, and I think there's value in this, I want to explain what each one of those are and then give us, I think, a rallying point for those. Okay, so it's actually a complicated thing. In other words, it's the timing and the intent of what Jesus was saying that scholars are divided over. And you know me with scholars, I love that we can study. I love that we can look into these things, but I also think that we do a lot of things in just complicated, muddy waters that were meant to be so clear. But I want to move through these. In other words, is this passage, 16 through 25, is it a message for those 12 about to go on mission? Or is it for another one of their missions later in Matthew? I'll explain that. Or is it for us today? And scholars are completely divided on this. Verse 23 is a catch, so let's start there. And again, I'm going to pull all this together and then we'll move through the passage. But I want you to understand why there's such a discrepancy and and how we're going to rally behind it. So verse 23 is the catch. It says, when they persecute you, Jesus is saying, when they, those you're going to, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next, for truly, I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And scholars don't know what to think about going through all the villages before the Son of Man comes. Like is it whenever he comes again in ultimate judgment? Is it whenever he comes again to finally judge Israel and, and their rejection of him? Is it their judgment on this mission? It might seem like a really small thing, but there's actually a lot that, that we need to consider there because it affects how we read it. In other words, if it was only for the 12, 
then we can glean some truths from it today, but it doesn't really apply to us. It's, a, it's for them, it's about them. If it was about the future, then it would have meant nothing for them. So just, just go with me here. Four views, that there's actually six. I'm going to give you four, and I'm going to go quickly, and we can talk over lunch if you want to know more. Okay, number one, some would say that he gave this warning to them for their mission that they were, to, that they were about to embark upon. It makes sense. It's right there in the passage. Matthew wrote it in this way. I think that that makes the most logical sense. Whenever scholars are debating, does this go here or there? I say it's right there. I'm very simple in that way. But if that, if it were meant for them right there, they were about, they were to go, they were to flee persecution, and then Jesus would come back to them at the end of their mission or before their mission was even over, before all the towns of Israel were reached. So in other words, they were to go, and they were to move as quickly as they, were, as they could. They were moved hastily. And that's why as persecution came, they were to flee so they could go to the next town because the whole impetus was don't waste time, go and proclaim the kingdom. All right, that's that perspective. Second perspective. Some would say that he gave them this charge, but that his coming refers more to a final judgment of the Jews, which we, uh, I think we see at the end of the Gospels, um, at which point he's going to send the apostles to the Gentiles. Because remember, he told them at the beginning of this mission, go only to the Jews. Do not go to the Gentiles. Well, if you read in there, he's talking about the Gentiles also, that they're going to be able to witness before Gentiles. So some would say that it's not just about this mission, but actually he was referring to a mission later, like their life's mission. Um, and we're going to see that the Son of Man is not coming at the end of this one particular mission, but the end of the mission um, to the Jews in which he will reject their, I'm sorry, he will judge their rejection of him. And we do see that at the end of Matthew. Woe to the Pharisees and scribes. And he pronounces seven woes. You have rejected me. You are whitewashed tombs. Everything that God has promised, I am here. So it could mean that. All right. Some would say that he gave them this warning about a future persecution like what we see in Acts. No doubt, if you read 16 through 25 and you've read the book of Acts, your mind is already going to Acts and you're thinking this is all fulfilled in Acts. But he's telling them about their mission. And so then the son of man coming into his kingdom would be about his passion and resurrection. Like at the end of that, res uh, at the end of his passion, he's crucified and he's resurrected. So he's coming into his kingdom as he's ascending to heaven. Y'all with me so far? All right. At which point they go to the Gentiles and this is all going to happen before all of the Jewish towns can be reached. Fourth perspective, the last of the four that I support. Some would say that he was speaking not only to them, but to future believers about persecution that will be faced in the tribulation in the final days. I'm okay with that. Okay. The son of man coming, which he references, would then be a reference to his ultimate return at the end of days. And I think that that can be valid. Um, but I struggle with the attention to the towns of Israel, just to be quite honest. All right. Here's what I need you to know, church. Great scholars are divided on these verses, and they can nuance them even more. Trust me, they can justify any perspective that they have on these verses. I am fine with any one of those four above, except I don't think that they should be exclusive to one another. I'm fine with those four altogether. I don't think that it has to be this one, or this one, or this one, or this one of those four. I actually think it's those four together that they all four complement one another. I don't think we have to take this camp or this camp on this understanding. But I most definitely need you to understand this. Let me be incredibly clear. 
If you and I are to disagree on which interpretation is most fitting of those four, or if you say it can be all four, it has to just be number two. If we are to disagree on which interpretation is most fitting, you need to understand this is not a matter of salvation or a matter of unity. This is one of those where we can understand these passages and their intent slightly differently in those four, I believe, and still have unity of the faith and not argue. Um, we'd have peaceable spirit right now. There are two other options of which I totally disagree. And you can disagree with me, and you're wrong. <laughs> totally joking. All right. There are these other two that scholars um, throw out there. First, that Jesus was wrong because he misunderstood the timing of the coming of his kingdom, meaning that he thought that his kingdom was, would be consummated very soon. And so in addressing them and warning them, he thought that the end of days was then and he was just wrong. I don't and I can't espouse that one at all. OK, secondly, and this is this goes back to some of my core doctrinal beliefs. Second, that this particular passage is actually better placed later in Matthew with the Olivet Discourse. And therefore, it is implied that this is actually in the wrong place in the Bible, that it was actually meant to be placed later, but it was placed here in Matthew probably used a source and could have placed it later because it actually applies to something later. I cannot agree with that view either because my understanding of the Bible and all of Scripture comes down to this. By the hand of Matthew and under the direct inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these passages are placed exactly where they are supposed to be for all believers for all time. So it's exactly as we're supposed to have it. All right. Why in the world, why in the world do I even share all six of those? There's actually seven, but I read the seventh one. I'm like, that kind of sounds like that one, so we're just going to lump it together, so I did. But why share all those? I mean, why dedicate that? Because you need to understand that this is really one of those passages that, that we can read in one sense, but also miss it in this, this sense over here. If we only, for example, focus on this passage and what it means to us and how we respond to it, then we totally miss what Jesus was telling those apostles and what those apostles did. If there is a weak chain or a weak link in the chain of gospel proclamation, it cannot be laid on the apostles, y'all. Because he warns them and they go. They say he is worthy of all persecution and they go. Like we need to understand what he tells them they're about to do. Put that in perspective real quick. He says to them in the preceding passage from several weeks ago, I'm going to send you 12 out. Do not take extra clothes. Do not take an extra staff. Just go and proclaim the gospel. And if you're rejected then it's okay. I want you to find a house that's worthy, but you take nothing else with you and you will be provided for. Trust your God who is with you. And by the way, you're going to be persecuted and hated and flogged and pulled into courts and everybody will absolutely reject you. Like that's a real perspective that you and I need to understand. And if we don't grasp that, what they are actually called to, and we only focus on what we get out of it, like he's speaking this to us right now, and we miss that perspective, then I don't think we're rightly understanding the word that, he was, that we're given. At the same time, we have to understand this, that there are passages of Scripture, hear me, that are, they are progressively fulfilled and realized throughout all time. I think this is one of those passages. It was true for them then. It's true for us now. And it will be true for believers in the future. So I believe that those first four are all good together. I think that they actually complement one another. It's about the both the then for them and the now for us. So what we're going to do today 
is we're going to look at the then first. What was he saying to them then? And I think we can glean some truth out of it. And then for the now, I'm actually just going to pull in some other New Testament passages that will, that will spur us on to that forewarned, forewarned perseverance that we need today. Are y'all with me? So I shared all that to say it's actually like a 3D movie. In which, and I'm going old fashioned. I know that the new ones are like all gray and cool and slick and like, oh, but like the old fashioned 3D glasses in which this one was blue and this one was red. And you could look just like through this side and see everything in blue or you could see everything in red or you could look with both. And all of a sudden there's a depth and a reality to that movie that you would miss if you're only looking through one lens. We need to look through both lenses on this one is what I'm trying to say. All right. OK, so here we go. Knowing then that I believe that this is progressively fulfilled throughout all time. It's true for him then. It was true later in Matthew. It was true through the book of Acts. It's true for us now and it's true in the future. Consider this. So this, the, the book of Matthew was written to a different audience at a different time. They did not know yet of the crucifixion. Or I'm sorry, the, the, I'm sorry, the apostles at the time he's saying this did not know of the crucifixion or his resurrection. The audience to which Matthew's writing does, but not, I would say, as fully as we do because we have the full New Testament canon right now. They did not know fully of the coming church age. The apostles, as he's about to send them out, they don't know about the coming church age. They just know they got to go right now. Like they're in a different time than we are. We are looking back at the cross. They were looking forward at a coming kingdom that was not yet consummated. All right, so... In other words, what if the point of this passage is not the timeline of the Lord's return? What if the point of the passage is that persecution is inevitable for those who live for the Lord? I think that we need to give our attention to the return of the Lord because it puts um, persecution in perspective. All right, so here we go, the then. Let's begin. First part, I'm going to stick to Matthew's passage. Second part, we're going to expand. So here we go. Eyes on text. The word of the Lord says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. That's what he tells those 12 whom he loves. He pulls those 12 close and he says, Hey, I'm going to send you out. I'm going to send you out and I'm going to send you to the wolves. You, my sheep, I'm sending to the wolves. And you know what wolves do with sheep? They devour them. They eat them. They attack them. And he says, I'm sending you out. You and I discussed this several weeks ago, but Jesus is sending his apostles. He's sending his sheep out to the wolves. Why? So that other sheep may know of salvation. A truth we can glean from that, y'all, is that we have to go into the midst of darkness because there are sheep who need to hear his voice. He says that my sheep will know my voice. They will know the voice of the shepherd and they will come to me. But y'all, God's apostles were to go out into danger so that they might rescue others. Like, let's like think about that in modern church and modern theology and what's being proclaimed. That God would not send us into uncomfortable situations. I'm a child of God. He would therefore never put me in danger. He would never therefore put me in a place where I'm uncomfortable and where I have to just be, face discomfort. He would never do that to me. Oh, most definitely he will send us out as sheep in the midst of wolves. He did it with his first apostles and he does it with his disciples today. He tells us to go. Okay, so let's, let's look at that. And so he says that as you go, as they go, they're to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. 
Y'all, let me put it this Faith is sufficient to save to the uttermost. You and I need faith. Absolutely. That saves us to the uttermost. I'm saying that now because later I'm going to have to say the one who endures to the end will be saved. Your faith right now, your belief in God and Jesus Christ is enough. But faithful living, to live faithfully, that requires wisdom and purity, wisdom and innocence. And it's to this that they are called. But I'm going to give you this, this warning. Like, this is all a warning. And I love how he starts with that. Like, I want you to go to the wolves as my sheep. And I want you to be wise as serpent is and as doves. While we were on a trail um, in the Great Smoke, we were hiking Laurel Falls. It was beautiful. Like, it was great. And we're going through, um, and we're, there's some, some switchbacks where you're, you're hiking up this way, and then you curve back this way and this way. If you do not know, Chas and Jackson are terrified of snakes. I mean, terrified of snakes. Jackson is young enough that Dad's voice can still spur him on. Chas... Absolutely not. We've had some unique encounters with snakes on trails before in Arkansas, and I got her past them. Had I not gotten her past them, it was, trust me and let me get her past them, or she just jumps off the bridge. I'm not kidding. She said that was her only choice, was to jump off the bridge. It was about a 10 to 15 foot drop onto other rocks. She didn't care. Broken ankle, fine by her, as long as she didn't have to pass a snake. The way we got past that one in Arkansas was I gave her a piggyback ride because I knew if she jumped, it was going to be disastrous for us all and huge recovery. And so in that moment, I had to go to her and I'm like, I'm not kidding. Get on my back. We're in the middle of a trail. We have to get past this. I'm not doing it. I'm not going. Like it's going to, it was a snake and granted, I don't like snakes and I hate spiders, which are even smaller. Okay. But but we did that, and we got past that moment. Well, now we're in the Smokies, and we're going along some of these trails, and we come around a corner, and everybody is stopping on either side of the... I promise you I'm going somewhere with this, okay? Everybody's stopping on either side of this moment in the trail, and I realize that there's a blackhead that's coming across the trail, up out of the hole from underneath. And it'll go so far, and then it'll come back. And its hole was actually underneath, and so I was trying to test, do I come out or not? There's a lot of people around. We come around, I, of course, as a loving father, I'm like, y'all, snake, to which Kinley wants to pet it. There's no ugly animal to Kinley. She wants to pet this snake. It's cute. It's adorable. She just wants to hold it. I say absolutely not. I have no idea at this point if it is a poisonous snake or not a poisonous snake. I told Chas it was a poisonous snake because in my heart in that moment, I believed that it had to be, a, or I'm sorry, that it was non-poisonous. Uh, it had to be a non-poisonous snake that I told Chas. I believe in my heart still that it was non-poisonous, and I didn't check the head to make sure, okay? Because I needed it to be non-poisonous for that moment. But here's what happens, and here's how it all relates. Kinley and Gavin, I told them, I said, y'all, there's a snake here, and everybody stopped. But look, if you'll go right over here, there's actually a path that kind of drops down through the woods and just kind of run past it just real quick, and you'll get past. Well, they go. Jackson has to test it for a little bit. He has to keep watching. In the meantime, the snake's coming out further. I'm like, it's, it's going to be okay, buddy. Like, look, it's looking that direction. If you will just go this way, like you're going to be fine. And just get to the other side as far away as you want. But we have to keep going. Meanwhile, Chas is further and further backing up. And she's not alone. There are other people on the trail, men and women who are backing away from, from this moment. And I'm finally, I'm sitting there. I'm standing there like this. There's a snake right there. Our kids are over there. I'm looking at Chas. I'm like, Chas, you have to come. Like, you have to come this way. 
I can't, I can't go that way. I'm not going to do it. No, like I'll just stay. And I'm like, you can't stay. You can't stay like you have to go. And if you go this way, the snake is looking that direction. But if you go this way, I promise you, you're going to be fine. But go this way and, and you, I'm, I'm not going to do it. Like you, I, I was like, and I'd already shed the backpack because I, I was convinced that if I had to put her on my back and carry her, I would because, I mean, that's, that's just what you do, right? Okay. So, but I, here's what I told her. I said, Chas, we have to go. I said, because the kids are over there and they're waiting on us. Like they're already over there. We've got to go. It's, we don't have a choice. They had to go in scripture past danger. They didn't understand what it was. They didn't know what the outcome would be, but there was a danger. And Jesus, the Messiah is telling them, you have to go. The mission is over there. And they go. They count the cost. They see the danger. They know what's there. But for Chastanago was not an option in that moment because we had to keep going. Granted, that's a really light, humorous story for, for me to share. This is a grave moment for them. This is a test of obedience. Will they go where he tells them to go, knowing that they will be flogged and persecuted and sued and rejected by family? Will they go? Chas in that moment was incredibly brave. She, she did it. I mean, she was incredible. She was a hero. She got past it. Didn't have to carry her. Didn't have to do anything else. She did a great job. I just want y'all to know. She's incredible. Okay. Now, I'm going to move quicker through several of these other ones. But I want you to understand the importance of that first part. He's warning them. The love of our Savior is that he tells us what we need to know so that we can take the steps that we're supposed to take in faith. They had faith. They go. All right. But he says, beware of men. For they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues, and you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Now go to verse 21. Brother will deliver over brother to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. My goodness. This does not match up with American Christianity. It really doesn't. We like to believe, and I hope it's true, that as we love the Lord and He loves us, He will just give us peace with all men. It's what we're called to do. As much as possible, live at peace with all men. But He tells them that as they proclaim the kingdom, they will be hated on every level. Listen to this. They will be hated to the point that they are taken into courts, human government. They're going to be flogged, which is beaten with a leather, a, a leather whip in the synagogues, a religious institution. You're going to be dragged before governors and kings for my sake. Brother, so family, brother will deliver over brother, father his child, children will rise against parents. Like now there's families that are, that are hating one another. And then he says, in case I missed one of the categories of, um, I'm sorry, human government and religious institution and family, he says you will be hated by all. All of society is going to hate you for my name's sake. And count the cost, apostles, what I'm about to send you on, this mission to proclaim the kingdom to the Jews. You will be handed over to courts. You will be flogged. You will be hated by all. Even your family will reject you. Now, Jesus is sending them on a mission to proclaim his kingdom, and every level of comfort and authority will be against them. Would we be okay with that? Like as we sit here today, we just got these comfy chairs like several weeks ago. Like, would we be okay if that's what we're called to, 
and not sitting comfortably in chairs and air condition and going, having our fellowship meal right after? Are we going to be okay if we are rejected and hated and despised by every layer, every layer of all of creation? I mean, think about it this way. God himself created the family. God himself created religious institution or religion. God himself created human government. God created all things and all people from all tribes and tongues and nations in all time. But the result of sin is rebellion and death. And in Jesus' warning to his apostles and to us as well, we find out that to proclaim the gospel of God is also to recognize that persecution will come from every layer of existence that he's created. Why? Because Satan is powerful. And Satan is powerfully moving every aspect of creation toward an absolute rebellion and rejection of God's authority and reign. You and I have an enemy. And he's not some silly goofball cartoon character on Looney Tunes who sits on your shoulder. Our enemy is real and he seeks to devour. And we know that he cannot overcome God. We know that his attempts are futile. We know how the story ends. We know he will be defeated. But church, listen to me. May we not disregard the hurt, the deceit, the destruction, and the death that he spreads along the way. That's why we go on mission. Because he's active. And if the church is not actively stepping into that darkness, then there is no fighting against the darkness. This is the mission to which they were called. It is the great commission to which we, have, to which we are to go. We don't get to see danger and darkness and step back. For them, they had to go. For us, we see the danger. We know the mission. We must go. Y'all, the vast steps of sin and Satan's deceit is that it will reach every institution and every aspect of creation that it possibly can and corrupt it. And the apostles were told, you're going to be flogged and hated and killed for my name's sake. The next passage Probably what stops us is not the going, but the, the consequences of our going, right? When, the day, when they deliver you over, so when this happens, that's probably where most of us pause. Like, but, but if I go, like, I don't know how to answer the questions. I don't know what I would say. Uh, what, if they, what if they look at my life and realize that my life really isn't genuine enough? Like what if, what if they ask me questions and I can't prove that God exists? I can't answer like with the verses. Like what if I'm not equipped enough? Like those are real things that they, they most definitely have to be wrestling with. But he says, when they deliver you over, what's going to happen? When they deliver you over, do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you're to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Verse 22, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Y'all listen, when persecution comes, for them, for us, when persecution comes, what were they to do? Do not be anxious. I mean, come on. Like you told me I'm going to get flogged. You tell me I'm going to get pulled into courts. You tell me that my family is going to reject and hate me. You're telling me that everybody is going to hate me for your name's sake. Do not be anxious when these things happen. Remember to whom they are listening, the Messiah. These are not empty words just written in a book. These are the words of life from the one who gives life and created life and sustains life and brings us to eternal life. And he's the one who says, when this happens, and I've already warned you, when this danger right here in the middle of this path, this trail, whenever it happens, listen to me, do not be anxious. You know why? Because of this. For what you will say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. He says, for it is not you who speak, but the Father 
I'm sorry, but the spirit of your father, which is the Holy Spirit. He will speak through you. That's incredible. Do you get that? That when persecution comes, we don't need to be worried about the persecution. We need to be worried about the proclaiming. We go proclaim when persecution comes. God himself, through his Holy Spirit, will give us the recall. He will give them the recall. He'll tell them exactly what needs to be said. But not just like whispering in their ear. He will be speaking through them. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that in God the Trinity hovered over the faces of the earth, the Trinity, like that God, He will speak through us by the Holy Spirit. Why are we fearing persecution? Because we listen to the wrong voice. The kids listen to my voice on the trail and they believe that everything would be okay. One of Chas's other big questions is what if we face a bear? And she said, I guess it's the slowest person, huh? And I said, I will intentionally be the slowest person, babe. Don't worry. Okay? What if we face a bear? I thought it'd be fun. If I have no other choice, what a way to go down but to fight a bear. I'm trying to relieve all of her concerns. Jesus giving them the reality of the danger before them is also alleviating all their concerns. Cross-life believers, like, do you hear that? of your Messiah, your Savior, the King who sits on high. That if they were to be persecuted and we are to be persecuted, when that time comes, worry more about the proclamation than the persecution. The Holy Spirit who indwells you will speak for you. It's scriptural. It's right there. It's truth. And the same truth that they need to hear is exactly what we need to hear. Now, there is this other part. Well, let me, let me summarize. It's basically coming down to this. And you hear it echoed in the Great Commission. He's saying, God will not only be with you, he will speak for you, but you go. Go and proclaim persecution, y'all, is inevitable, but you are not alone. That's what we hear all throughout the Great Commission. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Go, therefore, and I am with you until the end of the age. He's telling them that before he ever told them the Great Commission. All right, what does it mean that the one who endures to the end will be saved? This is so incredibly important. It doesn't mean that only by enduring that persecution will they find salvation. That's not the intent. That's where people get mixed up. Quite simply, Jesus is comforting them that there is a salvation for them that is greater and richer than their very lives. Right? The one who endures to the end will be saved. Like if you endure that persecution to the very end, which in the end would be the end of your life, then there is a salvation, there is a life that can't actually be taken. The obedience, in other words, is this. Their obedience would be the proof of their faith and their faith would hold them until the end. Like that's what it's saying is that if you have faith, if you truly believe all these things, you will endure to the end. And that authenticity of your faith is the proving of your faith. Obedience is where we probably struggle the most. And if we read through all of the Old Testament, Obedience is where they struggled the most, even in the very beginning of creation with the garden. They lacked obedience. Disobedience is so appealing to us because of the wickedness of our hearts today. Whenever he says that the one who endures to the end will be saved, he is simply saying that the one who perseveres will persevere because of their faith and their faith will be proven in that moment. Like, but at the end of what? The end of your life. And you and I, will continue to be called to persevere to one degree or another, greater and greater and greater throughout all of our years of life. 
Look, he says, when they persecute you in one town, I'm moving on. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Y'all, here's it. Proof was not the point. When they're persecuted, they were just supposed to flee in this mission. When you and I face persecution, we need to be praying, Lord, do I flee the persecution? Do I endure the persecution? Do I wait through these fiery trials? Like there are other verses that show, but on this particular mission, he says, when they persecute you, then you need to flee that town and keep on moving. Why? The why is the important thing. This is why I was spending so much time on those six things or those different views at the beginning. Why? Because you will have not gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Why were they just supposed to flee persecution? Because the Lord, he was returning in that moment and they had a mission to accomplish. And so he says, when you face persecution, don't waste your time in that moment. My sheep will hear my voice. When you face persecution, if they reject you on this particular mission, then I want you to keep going because I'm coming back. Does that make sense? Pull all those lenses together. You and I will face persecution as we live godly lives. I'm going to show you that passage at the very, very end as a, a final charge for us. But you and I should have a haste about us because the king is returning. And when he returns, it's too late. Everybody who's been deceived, caught up in the blindness of, of their, their, their lack of faith, like when Jesus returns and gives final judgment, it's done. It's over. And we will rejoice in his presence. And many will weep and burn because hell is real. And there's a haste to that mission. That's why he says when persecution comes, you keep worrying about proclaiming. Keep telling everybody you can. My sheep will hear my voice. Keep on moving. Go and proclaim, he told them. You hear this echoed, I hope, so clearly in the Great Commission. That's why it's applicable to us now even. But you can hear how this is also working throughout Acts. If you read Acts, there's so many passages that I just can't go to in Acts. I hope that you are spurred on to go back to Acts and start reading and think about this passage. And you will see that what he meant for the mission in chapter 10 is what he also, we also see playing out in Acts. But they face persecution. Sometimes they are pulled into courts. Sometimes they are flogged in the synagogues. Sometimes they flee. Like we see all these things happening. Go and proclaim, he told them, because I am coming back. And then he reminds them, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and a servant to be like his master. But if they've called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? You know, the last part of the passage that I want us to look at, and then we're going to pull out into a broader scope. It says very clearly, a disciple, who we are and who they were, is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. Modern Christianity, if you don't know, acts as though we should not endure any suffering or persecution, though our teacher and master did. And Jesus warns his apostles of all times that if they've hated me, then they will hate you. We probably spend way too much time trying to garner favor with the world that has already rejected our Savior, and in the end, they will not love us if we love Him. This is the family, not alone. This isn't a microcosm of the family of God, those who He's called out of a world. But whether Christians meet here, or First Baptist Church, or Chaffee Crossing, or West Ark Church of Christ, wherever it is that genuine believers call upon the name of the Lord and believe, that is the family of God. And anyone who loves the Lord and has been adopted into his family will be hated by the world. 
I fear that we want to be known more for our tolerance and our peacefulness and our friendliness than for proclaiming the kingdom. If they hated him, the human governments, religious institutions, families, and society as a whole, then we will be hated as well. Are you okay with that? If they called him Beelzebub, another name for Satan, or Lord of the Flies, or Lord of the Dung, which Andy hit on, if he was thought of as evil, they will do the same for us. Do we live our lives in such a way that we would be considered evil because we don't follow the patterns of the world? This is a call to a different level of discipleship. This is biblical, authentic, genuine discipleship. Those who walked with Jesus, he said, now I am sending you into persecution, but don't worry. All right. John 15, 18 through 23. Just listen to it because you're going to be turning here in just a second. Get your thumbs warmed up. Some Bible Olympics here in just a second. All right, but John 15, 18 through 23. Listen to this one more time. Jesus and John told them, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they will not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for sin. And then listen to what Jesus says. Whoever hates me hates my father also. You and I have been given the ministry of reconciliation. God making his appeal through us to an unbelieving world. You and I are to go out as they went. The harvest, just one chapter, like just a one or two chapters back, the harvest is ripe, the workers are few, therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest that he will send workers out into it. Here, he tells him, I'm sending you now. Like it's time to go. And as you go, there will be danger. And I want you to go. Trust me. Not me. Like as Ricky, the, 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 the speaker right now. But trust him. Okay, so hearing all these things, do you know what the apostles do? They go. Like they go. If there is a weak link in the chain of gospel proclamation throughout all time, it was not with the apostles. Can you imagine the faith and the surety they had of the one who was sending them? Like they aren't the ones who did not proclaim the gospel. We see it recorded throughout scripture. Is there an implication there that today there may be a weak link in our gospel proclamation. Yeah, and I'm guilty. I am guilty of not proclaiming the gospel as I am meant to proclaim it. They went. They counted the cost, and they said, He is worthy. He is Messiah. Why would we not go to all danger for the proclamation of His kingdom? Why would we not go? Like that's what they, And so they go. My heartfelt concern and a truth for me. So concern for the, the modern church and a truth for me is that we have a low threshold of persecution so much that we would rather avoid it. Rather than enduring to the end so that Christ can be proclaimed, we'd rather shelter ourselves into the end just to once again be in His presence. And there's a disobedience in that church. And I am guilty. 
Church, by our obedience and by the apostles' obedience, faith is made evident. Okay. I'm going to give you some verses, and, and it's our way of, of moving out of this. That was all the then with truths that we need for now. Now the now. Like, what do we do with it now? So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be flipping to our right. To the best of my ability, we're going to be flipping to our right. So start in Matthew. Persecution, church, is inevitable. By the way, if you're a first-time guest, welcome. Glad you came on Persecution Sunday. All right. The next passage that follows this while you're flipping to Matthew chapter 5, um, Andy preached about how there's to be no fear. That's what he preached last week, so remember that. Next week, we're going to be in 34 through 39, um, how Jesus did not bring peace but a sword, um, and then the rewards of that faithful living like the following week. So just so you know the trajectory of where we're going. All right, so the now. Other things about persecution, passages that I'm going to read, keep my commentary incredibly short or not at all, and just let God's word work within us because I trust it to do that. Matthew chapter 5, verses 44 through 45 say to us, But I say to you, our Lord says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he, God, makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Church, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, which has the implication you will be persecuted. Look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. See, I kind of went a little bit back there, sorry. My best, my best of my ability. Matthew 5, 10 through 12. Still in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We will be persecuted. We keep going because he's faithful and he's worth it. Romans 12, 14. So you're going to be flipping to your right. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans chapter 12, verse 14. The reason, uh, write them down. And by the way, all my notes, remember, are always available. So if you're like, hey, I feel like I missed something, will you send them to me? Just shoot me a text. I'll send you my notes on any sermon so that you always have that as a record. Okay, Matthew chapter 12, verse 14. Simply says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Oh, it'd be so easy to curse those who are persecuting us. Speaking because they don't, they don't know what I'm living for. They don't know that I am God's son. They don't know that this is what I'm called to. They don't know who they're messing with. They're not, I mean, we do that. You know what we should do is bless them. Because how countercultural in a world of hate to speak in a kindness of love. Galatians chapter 4. I just want you to hear this pattern over and over again. Galatians 4, verses 28 through 29, says this. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil. I'm sorry, I kind of blended those. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Oh, so, like, I think I've got two verses kind of smashed together there, I realize. Um, somebody do it. Let's do it this way. Galatians 4, 28 through 29. Who's got it? Because my notes got slammed together. Go for it, Bo. 
That was it. No, I'm sorry. Keep going. Okay. Yes, I knew this once I got into it. I'm like, this is not Galatians at all. Um, that one shows us even in Galatians that there are, there's a distinction. There are those who are born of the flesh and those who are born of the spirit. And the flesh, those who are of the world, they will persecute those who are born of the spirit, those who cling to God. Like it's even there in Galatians. It's all throughout the New Testament. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. We're almost there, I promise. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. Tell you what, if I start reading and it's the wrong verse, just raise your hand. This was written on a 12-hour drive back from the Smoky Mountains, not going to lie, on a phone and an iPad. And cut and paste obviously did not work well. First Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, so that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. When you are persecuted, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. It is that evident in your life. I just think that's pretty cool. First Peter chapter 5, verses 8-9. through nine. Got this verse, then we'll give you one final one. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 9. Church, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Can I do that one more time? Like, let that sink in to where we, where we are right now. This is beautiful. This is wonderful. We were longing for this. Like, being able to gather with our brothers and sisters, and we're going to eat here in just a moment. Like, that's great. But as we go from this place, Scripture says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. The reality is that there is a devil there is an adversary who is seeking to devour us. Devour us. We resist him. And we know that our God will restore us. Do we actually believe it? I think our fear of persecution comes down to a matter of obedience and trust. Can I give you one final passage? 2 Timothy 3.12. 2 Timothy 3.12 says this. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus 
will be persecuted. Who will be persecuted, church? All those who desire to live a godly life. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And you know what I had to ask myself? Ricky, how's your persecution? If I'm living a godly life, the promise of Scripture is that I will be persecuted. Y'all, he warns us of the danger, just as he warned the apostles of the danger. The apostles heard the danger, they trusted the Lord, and they went. May we hear of the danger, trust the Lord, and go. And when we fear, and when we run to our Savior, you need to understand that He understands and sympathizes with our weakness. He knows who we are. Our God knows that we are but dust. But He does continue to press us back out. Why? Because His sheep will hear His voice through us who go. Let's pray. Lord, in many words, and Lord, if it was too many, I apologize. But Lord, I pray that Your Word is clear in our hearts today. Lord, I pray that we are called to live. I'm sorry, not that we are called, but we're already called. Lord, I pray that we have the conviction to live as we are called. But Lord, I believe that that begins with remembering the gospel yet again. We once were lost. We were blind. And you called out into our darkness and brokenness and called us to light. And you send us out. Ministry of Reconciliation, you making your appeal through us, your ambassadors to this unbelieving world. Lord, may we see the danger. May we count the cost. But Lord, may we look upon your glory and may we go because you are worth it. And thank you, Jesus, that when we are scared and weak, Lord, when we are mournful, we can run to you and you forgive us. Lord, thank you for this time in your words. I know that it will work. But Lord, help me not to rush so quickly past it in my life that I forget that it's to this that I am called. I pray this all in your son's holy name. Amen.